look out! Fireworks are flying! New titles not on my horizon. The current champ is running a three-peat, possibly a four-peat or quad-peat or something, Pete, coming up here at the end of January with the Royal Rumble. But let's reminisce on what was tables, ladders, and chairs, my man. Welcome back to the male soap opera moment to the one, the only, the wrestling encyclopedia, Vincent Kennedy Bucci! Yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. The Pete's continue. <laughs> we said the word Pete so much. I feel like I'm on 90s Nickelodeon. It was so cool. Um, but I will say it is great to once again still be Le Champion. And it was a six to four uh, victory in the end. And I will say it was interesting because by the time we get to the main event, it was pretty much either I win or we tie. So either way, I was walking out with this belt, but it's, it's, it's good to have the win. Because I, I, we tie so much during this thing, whether I'm the champ or you're the champ, that to have to, to have the win makes this more satisfying. I wouldn't be able to brag as much. No, absolutely. Well-earned win. I'm not going to be a sour loser because I'm not going to be a good winner either when it happens. No. So there you have it. <laughs> Let's recap some TLC, tables, ladders, and chairs. Oh, my, do we have a lot to talk about, Booch. I have some tepid takes here. But uh, which matches do you want to talk about first? Which ones really grind your gears? <laughs> I like that. What really grinds my gears? Um, well, it's interesting enough, the first match of the evening grinded my gears. Uh, what was once a singles match became a triple threat match three quarters of the way into uh, the TLC. And that was, of course, Drew McIntyre defending the title against AJ Styles. And then Mr. Money in the Bank, The Miz, inserting himself into the match. Um, was not happy when I saw it, and I got a lot to say about this, so here we go. Um, did not like the cash-in. Liked everything that happened before that. I thought Drew and AJ Styles put on a great match. I love that AJ – this is what I love about AJ Styles is that he has evolved so much as a performer. Like, he, because anybody that's seen AJ Styles in the high spots he did in this TLC match, you know he was capable of doing that. But for the early years of his career, that's all he ever did. He, now that he's worked the psychology in, it means a lot more when he does like three, like, like four, six, 450 splashes and dives to a table and stuff like that. It, it means more because he puts the whole package together, which is why he's one of the best, if not the best in the business today, as far as in-ring wrestling goes. Um, did not, ex did, knew Drew McIntyre was going to win. That was a given. Was not expecting the Miz, although I will admit it did bring an element of surprise to the match. And the fact that Miz did not walk out with a championship makes it more satisfying because not just because I hate him, but because he legit made you think for a second, oh crap, he's going to win this. Like there was that moment of, am I going to be pissed off at the opening of this triple threat match? Then he doesn't win. And now they, and then after a few weeks of whining, moaning, bitching, complaining, and all that, they give him back the briefcase. That's a crock of shit. And it's like, oh, because he didn't cash it in, Morris cashed it in. Okay, so what about when Paul Heyman handed the briefcase when Brock Lesnar cashed in? Does that mean he gets the briefcase back? Oh, no, wait, he won the championship. So he doesn't get the briefcase back. We're just going to pretend it never happened. It's inconsistency with storylines. This is why people want to smack WWE upside the head. The internet exists. You can't sweep things under the carpet anymore. 
If you're not consistent with your rules and your storylines, fans will call you out on it. And that's all I got to say about that. Wow. I think you made a lot of good points. Yes. First, I want to take a look at the positive of this. Okay. I chose Drew McIntyre to win this match, so I was right. So we tied at this point. I was feeling really good. Great match. Um, one of the really positive things I want to take from this match is we finally got to see some physicality from Omos. Yes. Now, it may not have been in the way that we all wanted to see it in a singles match or, or a turn on AJ Styles as it, as it is, but we did get to see your boy, Mike the Miz, Mr. Awesome, get pulled into and through a table after trying to climb that ladder. So I think it's kind of a good thing. You also got to see how that chair shot by Morrison didn't even impact him. So they're building him as a monster, which is good. You can't sell him short at this point. The only problem with this is that word consistency that you used. Now, if Omos has taken a chair shot from Morrison and being unfazed, you have to make him really believable as a monster and an unstoppable force. So that's the problem with him not really being impacted with a chair shot. Even the best of the best have it impacted by chair shots. I don't want to dive too deep into that rabbit hole, but just something to hold on to as yeah. time goes on and we look back at matches like this. Um, of course, we both knew that Drew McIntyre was going to walk out. We got to see the Claymore on the Miz. Um, he climbed the ladder, grabbed the title, and he's still our champion. We can talk about what's ahead at Royal Rumble at the end of the month. Right now, since he's on the top of our minds, let's just organically transition into the latest on Drew McIntyre. He's yeah. uh, tested positive for SARS-CoV-2, a.k.a. COVID-19. He addressed the crowd on Raw this last week. Short, sweet, to the point. Hey, guys, wear a mask. Take this seriously. Luckily, yeah. he's symptom-free, but not everybody can claim that. Um, but socially distanced, do what we can so we stop spreading this awful virus. And um, I like that they addressed it. I like that they didn't just sweep it under the rug, as you called it, Booch. Uh, but I'm going to give this match overall a B minus. Yeah. And I'll do that, too, because I'll even admit um, when Miz, you mentioned Miz going through the table, I did love the way he sold that. His selling was great in that. Like he's like he had his hand, his wrist was twitching as he went through the table. So at least he sold it. So I can, I can give that. And also, not only did he not get impacted by the chair, the chair broke. Like a steel chair broke across his back. So I forgot about that part. Yeah, I will say this. I love how they're building almost, but the scary part is they're setting that bar very, very high now. Mm -hmm. So unless they come in with some reinforced steel on a chair or emphasize this chair was custom made to not break, a chair shot's not going to kill him. Unless it's one, unless you emphasize that this is like a reinforced strong steel that even the world's strongest man couldn't break. And that's not even a Mark Henry reference. That's just and you have to really emphasize the chair. But anyway, I digress. Um, so I think the the next match we had was uh, Sasha Banks versus Carmella. Um, that was fantastic wrestling. Not, not it, it, never mind the fact that it told a decent story. And I think that the dude at ringside, whatever the hell they're calling him, uh, I feel like he's unnecessary and does not need to be there because he's not serving a purpose other than just being annoying. But as far as actual in-ring technical wrestling, that was phenomenal between Sasha and Carmella. Both of them delivered in that match. And 
Uh, of course, Sasha won. We kind of figured she was, but uh, I was impressed with by the wrestling. It was very well done. I think that Sasha really helped Carmella in that match to help her to shine, which is what all fantastic performers do, as you know. It's not about me. It's about us. It's about ultimately the fan and how they see this match, who's building who, and it's that power struggle, right? How much can I lift you up without hurting my character? And sometimes they're able to teeter on that line of brilliance, but other times they fall off. I felt like this one, they did very well. It's great to see Carmella actually do something and help her kind of come into something a little more serious and believable. So kudos to WWE on this match. I mean, I thought this was a solid B match in in terms of how you called it. Just great wrestling overall. Yeah, absolutely. Phenomenal wrestling. Uh, Like I said, I think the only thing that stops from getting an A is that guy at ringside. And I think he interfered too much and just didn't serve a purpose. But as far as the wrestling goes, fantastic. Booch, I want to kind of get this monkey off my back right now. And this monkey's name is Charlotte Flair. Now, (laughs) I know you you feel some kind of way about Charlotte Flair. And I don't blame you. But more so, I don't blame her. I blame Ric Flair and his ties to this company still at his age. For the love of God, man, back your way out. Woo your way out, please. He's destroying everything. You know, when I saw him backstage during the pay-per-view, I was like, that's the kiss of death. She's winning this match. He's, I, not, com- he's not coming there for you to watch Charlotte Flair lose. And I was right. Just what I was afraid of. Um, I was kind of shocked that she was back. I knew yeah. that she was injured. I don't know if that's part of the story or what was going on there. Or she was just vacation or had a kid. Who knows? But... To see her back at the expense, again, of Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler, arguably two of the most deserving women on this roster, it, it's appalling, and I'm not going to bore the crowd with the same antics that I did last time, but go back. I challenge you to go back and listen to how I feel about Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler, yeah. but they did it to me. They did it to me. I should have known better, and I believe the best. Fool me once. Shame on you. I'm not going to get fooled twice. Yeah, I knew that Asuka, when they said it was going to have a mystery partner, I had a feeling it was going to be a big deal. I did not expect Charlotte Flair, but I didn't need to see Rick backstage to know they were winning. I just need to hear her music because there's a policy in WWE that whenever Charlotte's on TV, she has to have a belt because if she doesn't have a belt, she's not worth watching, ironically, like her dad. I'm sorry. If they're not, if she doesn't have a belt around her waist, she has nothing to market. Because she has to be the person that always has a belt around her waist, always has to like try to get capture all the championships like her dad did. They make her too much like her dad. And whether it's her fault or not is irrelevant. The fact is there will forever be an asterisk on her whole career. They can try to paint this beautiful picture all they want. But the fact is, as great of an in-ring wrestler as she is, she was pushed way too far. She's won way too many championships in a short amount of time. And you know, it's because of her dad, because there's no originality in her. It's hard, right? Cause I want to look at it from her perspective. She can't help who her dad was. The only thing she can do is kind of show that she can perform above and beyond just the nepotism factor in this scenario. Yeah. So 
she is the WWE's fifth Triple Crown champion and fourth Women's Grand Slam champion. That's a huge deal. So when you look back at this character on the WWE years from now when she makes it to the Hall of Fame, because she will, oh yeah, will there be an asterisk? Because I see a lot of brilliance in her boots. Like, I, I'm not on the all or none bandwagon here. I think I'm somewhere in the middle. She does have a lot of talent. She she is the natural selection. I mean, she has good genes. It's going to be like LeBron's boy when he grows up. We're going to see that again. Is it his fault that his dad had was a genetic freak? Shout out to Big Papa Pump. Sorry you lost your Shonies. But it's tough out there, man. It's got to be tough for her because she's doing her thing. Yet every week now, she has to kind of always prove somebody wrong. So while I see your point, and I do think things may have been a little easier for her, in some ways, they've had to be tremendously more difficult for her. Oh, I'm sure they have been. And like I said, I don't take anything away from the fact that she's good in the ring. It's the way she's being booked. That's the difference. Like, like you talk about LeBron's kid, if he plays basketball. Basketball is not a scripted game. So if he can go out there and he can dribble and he can shoot and he can dunk and he can be, and he can be the MVP and lead the team to a championship, ain't much I can say about that. Like if he's out there on the court dominating, I can hate him all day long. But the fact is he crushed it. This is here in wrestling. You're there. There's someone in the back that says your hand goes up, your hand goes down. So you can be the best at working in the ring. But if if, they, if, if there's someone every day saying your hand's going up, your hand's going up, that's not winning. So that's the thing. Like she's, if someone's back there and you're getting pushed to the level that Charlotte is, it does make you look bad. Even if it's not your fault, even if it's not you. So I never hated Charlotte as a person. I'm sure if I met her in person, she'd be a very sweet, kind person. I'd probably get along great with her. But the way she's being booked, I can't, it, they backed me into a corner to where every time I see her win, there's that question because of how she's been pushed and her character. Like, who is who is Charlotte? I better yet, who is Ashley? That's who I like to know. Like, I don't know who she is because everything is her dad. The woo, the finisher, the strut, the robe, the music, everything. Like, there's nothing about her that separates her from her dad. It's too much like the same thing. It, I... There's plenty of people that have had that have been second or third generation, but they had their own gimmicks and found their own way to get over. Charlotte hasn't done that. I kind of have a strange suspicion that they have been using the last six months to plan a mutiny in the Flair family backstage. I think there's something to Ric Flair and this sassy Southern Belle oh. leaving together last week. It kind of reminds me of things we've seen in the past with the McMahon family, you know, the infighting there back when Linda McMahon was in a comatose stage right next to the ring. I think it was uh, WrestleMania, either the WrestleMania in 2000 or 2001. It was 2001. 2001. And like the way they booked that was brilliant. We could be seeing exactly what you want to see, which is an emergence of Ashley. Yeah. You know, who knows? I mean, she may be the queen and establish herself as such, but yeah. she may be the queen that moved to America and decided to cut ties with the royal family, and it's going to cost her. It's some, exactly. And what's even more interesting is the fact that, you know, I, like I said, she she gets when she's like when she establishes her own identity. That's great. But what really made me laugh was 
when Flair walked out with Lacey Evans, somebody wrote this on somebody wrote this on Facebook, and the comment afterwards was great. And I'm gonna I'm gonna try to clean this up for the show because I don't want to be too over too graphic. It's already not but, safe for work. You did that earlier in the show, Boots. So well, just go that, for it, man. Well, I, everybody knows I cuss a lot, but I try not to be bold. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what I mean by clean up. Like you could just use the the beginning letter if you want. Yeah. Well, let's just someone said I can't believe um, Ric Flair chose a hot chick over his family. And somebody commented, no shit, he's been doing that since 1982. So if you looked at the, it's like if you left the ESPN 30 for 30, fam, a family man, Rick is not. So he even admits at the end of his video, what do you want me to remember for? He goes, the greatest wrestler ever, because that was the one thing I did right. You know, mm-hmm. most people want to be remembered for being a good dad. I wasn't. Most people want to be remembered for being a good husband. I wasn't. So somebody wrote that, like, like I think like a younger kid that watched the wrestling was like, I can't believe he chose a hot chick over family. I'm like, I mean, this is 1982. <laughs> it's got to be hard out there, man. You're on the road, what, 300 days a year? Oh, yeah. People are just throwing themselves at you. It's a free drink everywhere you go. And you, have you need a, a lot of self-control and with a lot of people just succumb to that pressure, man. And oh, uh, I'm not hating them for it. I'm just saying that's what I, I just thought it was funny. That's who that's who he is. That's that lifestyle, man. But I'm sure if he could do it all over again, he would do something different. Um, but yeah, no, I know you're not hating. I think it's one of those things that he's going to maybe help get her out of that swamp as it is, you know, that, that term yeah. that we hear so much, the wrestling yeah. swamp. Yeah. Maybe she'll break away and find her own character and stand on her own two feet. Exactly. I like to see. Speaking of, Factions standing on their own two feet and then some. Let's talk about this match that we saw at TLC. New Day versus the Hurt Business. Yes. Spoiler alert, the Hurt Business wins. I think I was teetering on my answer yeah. because of how the New Day just usually wins. Yeah. So I, th- I remember struggling with this. There was a big time internal struggle when I chose this match. But it was a good match, man. And now we're looking at this faction holding two thirds of the men's titles on Raw. You had some awesome insight before the show. What do you think is next for this faction? Um, I, I I don't know what the what the booking plan is, but I'm a firm believer, and I've been getting a lot of flack for this, but I, I stand by it. I think MVP needs to chase for the WWE title and complete the picture. Agreed. But everybody's looking at me like, oh, he's he's he's. They're saying like, oh, he's too old. That BS line, or you know, we're saying like, there's other guys. <laughs> Goldberg. I'm like who? G- give me a list. It actually, and, they, and then people would say, Bobby Lashley deserves it. He's the U.S. champion. Here's the thing. The, out of the four members of the Hurt Business, there's only one man that truly deserves to have the world title around his waist. That man is Shelton Benjamin. But beggars can't be choosers in this scenario. So since he's got the tie belt, put the WWE title MVP because the leader of a faction should always be the world champion. Always. At the very least, mid-card. If it's like a mid-card faction, then the leader should be the intercontinental champion. I can see that. But I've seen, but I, but he should never be a tag team champion. No leader should ever be a tag, should ever be one half of anything. Right. You're, you're the head of the table. No pun intended. You're oh, the, we'll get there next. Oh, we're going to get there. Yeah. But you're the big man on campus. So you got to be the world champion. So I would love to see MVP get that, that belt. I know they kind of tease some of him and our troops. Now that people are like, oh, thinking, oh, he might get the 24 7 title. Don't do that. Because then, because that, 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 first of all, our truth does too much good with that. I don't want to see MVP running around the building or taking that aspect away by having MVP not getting chased around every day for the championship. So, oh, d- dude, I 100% agree. I think if they relegate MVP to the 24 7 title, 
that's a slap in his face. And I hope that he would provide some respectful pushback to the creative team there. Yeah. I would love to see the Hurt Business run the table at least until Mania, you know, like give them, give them a few months, like three or four months to really, you know, go there. Heck, we're at the end of January. So Mania is in April, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I think it's end of March. End of March, early April, something like that. Yeah. So we're just looking at what? Two months, really? Yeah. I'd let these guys, I test the waters with this. It's good for PR. It's good for paying deserving wrestlers their due. You're not going to, like you said, you're not going to see Lashley jump from U.S. championship holder to world champion. It doesn't make sense. But I could see them doing that, Booch. I could see them giving MVP a shot at the gold. Why not? Why? And that's my question. Why not? He's got, he's a veteran. He's got enough experience and he knows how to work. So it's not like he's gonna, he, he knows how to, how to not blow up in the ring, which for those people that means getting fatigued and tired and everything for people that don't know industry terms, there's, you know, they have to worry about getting blown up. They don't have to worry about him doing something stupid that can get him injured. And the people he's going to work with, which would most likely be Drew McIntyre, unless he loses at the rumble, which some people are speculating that we'll get to that. We'll probably talk about that on the next show. Uh, but I think MVP would be a great WWE champion. Like, really, I genuinely do. Like, that would be great. Him as the world champion. Last year, got the U.S. They got the tag team. They're the Hurt Business. They run. They, that, that's, that's running the ship. And I love to see factions. I would love to see factions win all the gold because that makes me feel like, okay, this is a dominant faction. You know, don't let Evolution be the only one that does it. Let a couple of guys run the gauntlet. Like, the only other thing we had to that was Undisputed Era and NXT. So, I think the Hurt Business, having all the belts on Raw – makes them a credible team. And that, and I think that would make it more entertaining. Awesome insights. That's why you're the wrestling encyclopedia. So let's jump to the next chapter of this book, shall we? Yes. I'm excited to talk about Kevin Owens and Roman Reigns. I want to give my take first, if that's okay, Booch. Go ahead, go ahead. This match, I, I, I knew what was going to happen. Like I knew that Kevin Owens was going to make this believable and he was going to create a lot of doubt. And boy, did I understate that. The pop-up powerbomb to Jay Uso through the announce table and then burying him underneath the pile of rubble was epic. The, the biggest takeaway, that was my moment of the match. The biggest takeaway was this match made Roman Reigns look really weak. I mean, to be honest, from a fan's perspective and, and borderline into the analyst perspective, Several instances of interference by Jey Uso when KO was closing in on that dangling Universal Championship belt above the ring. And this is a problem for Roman Reigns if they stick to showing his human side, right? We've seen him come back from a lot over the last couple of years. He's been through a lot. It's worrying to me to make him look weak in this regard. What is your opinion on the interference from Jey Uso? And in your view, how does that impact the strength factor of Roman Reigns as we move toward WrestleMania? Uh, well, as far as Jey Uso's interference, it was, it was way too much. And it was my only complaint about the match was I felt Jey Uso interfered way too much. And because usually if you're, if you have a manager or a backup team or someone's interfering, and I can only use this from a manager perspective. Like if you're someone's managing you, you get a minimum or maximum 
two to three spots where you interfere in the match. That's usually the, the safe spot. Three's kind of pushing it, but depending on the story, you can get that third one. If you're doing it more than that, you're overkill. So Jey Uso was overkill in this match. At the very least, I would have liked to have seen Jimmy come out. You know, maybe Jimmy Uso comes out. If he still can't, if he's still not medically cleared, maybe he comes out, just hits him with a weapon and leaves. Like, don't have to do much. Don't let him do anything that involves pulling him off the ladder or something. You know, they could have did that. Paul Heyman was there. He could have did something. You know, Paul's good at manager spots and knows what he's doing. So he could have like, maybe he grabs the leg, trips him up. You know, classic one-on-one manager valet thing. When someone's legs near the ropes, you trip up like Ric Flair did. You know, you can do that. There's multiple different ways you can make that happen. But Jay just constantly, constantly interfering was too much. As far as it impacting Roman, I think he's fine for now. They can't do that again. But at the end of the day, Roman is a heel. So he is going to need help in certain areas or certain places. So I don't think it makes him look weak necessarily, but if it's something that they do over and over and over and over and over again, it can affect him. But as a heel, you're supposed to cheat. That's, that's what you're supposed to do. You're, you're not supposed to, I, I never understood people that want to see a badass tough guy heel. Those are few and far between, you know, they're, you're supposed to cheat. On some level, you have to cheat, whether it's whether it's Roman doing a low blow like he was doing a couple times or mm-hmm. whatever. There has to be some aspect where you cheat and break the rules. And in a TLC match, it's hard to break the rules because there aren't any. So, and at times, Roman was down on the floor. So unless he, unless he decided to no-sell what was happening on the ground and quickly jump in, they needed Jay to jump in there and do that. The way they set it up, it made sense but it's something they did a little too much of. So they need to like dial it back a little bit more. Like don't put Roman in positions where he needs interference, put him in positions where he can uh, put his feet on the ropes or choke the person out or, you know, hit a low blow, let him cheat the normal way. Don't rely so much on interference. Let him cheat the fair way. I think that's what you're trying to say. Where it's just one-on-one and he cheats while he's in the ring. You know, pulling hair, doing whatever, like they're, they're basic, it's basic, but it works. I would love to see, I think you brought up a really valuable point. I'd love to see some more interference by Heyman, even if it is just distracting the ref, even if there's no physical contact with the opposition in the ring, just something like that to pull the ref line of sight out of the way and then let Reigns do the dirty work, the low blows, the, the eye gouge, whatever it takes uh, so I love that idea, and I totally agree. I think there was just too much interference. But Roman Reigns is willing to take all the smoke, so good for him. But I smell it too, and since I smell a lot of smoke, that must mean we are talking about the Firefly Inferno match, Booch. This match to me was everything awesome in terms of one of the disguised blessings of COVID. And what I mean is... You got to see the performance center basically look like hell, you know, minus the weeping and gnashing of teeth and all the suffering and torment that you deal with for an attorney. Y'all need Jesus. He loves you. Um, This match was awesome because I got to see this side of Randy Orton that we seldom get to see. 
recently we've seen it more. They've been pushing it to the forefront. We saw it when he was in the ring with H this last week. You know, he Randy Orton knows how to manipulate. He is the Viper. You know, if Triple H wasn't the cerebral assassin, it would be Randy Orton. To anybody out there that's complaining about why was Triple H on Raw? It's because Drew had COVID. They were supposed to fight. So they had to call an audible. Give him a break. Sorry. But yeah, this match was awesome. We even got to see a bandable claw. But we've talked about this for a number of weeks, Booch. And one of the coolest things about this performance center that they're all working out of right now, where the fans are on giant monitors, is that we can see matches like this. We can see fire, like up close and personal. Um, And that's one of the cool things. On the other hand, it kind of cheapens a little bit and makes it a little easier to not do it right. But in my view, they did it right in this match. I don't have any complaints. They gave me everything I wanted except for the except for the win here. I thought for sure Bray Wyatt was going to win this match. Uh, total shocker that Randy Orton won. But it makes sense for him to win if they're going to continue to push him to the forefront as we work toward WrestleMania. Yeah. And speaking of WrestleMania, my biggest disappointment was that going into TLC was that this wasn't going to be at WrestleMania. Like, why are we pushing this now? But with what I've been seeing with the storyline, right? With storyline so far, they're, I feel like they're dragging this out till Mania. At some point, the Fiend's going to come back around Mania, and that's when they're going to build to that. Or Bray might come back as something else entirely. I don't know what's going to happen. But either way, I loved it because because I didn't know what type of Inferno match we were going to get. Was it Were they going to actually touch the flames? Or was it going to be like that ring of fire that Bray Wyatt had with Kane when he right around the time he debuted? Which I thought was pointless. Like, is it going to be cinematic? Is it going to be regular? Some people say it was taped in advance because of the way the finish happened. But ultimately, when I, as soon as I heard the, the, the opponent had to touch the flames, I knew two things for certain. One, I was winning. And two, <laughs> we were going to see an amazing match. I did not expect until they got to the ring that the flames were going to be everywhere and not just around the ring. Yeah. They got to go out. It was an Inferno match, but they got to go outside the ring, which had never been done before. Every Inferno match, it was inside the ring with little gutters that had flames coming out. That's a standard Inferno match. It's like a lumberjack match where the fire is the lumberjack. So, but instead they were outside the ring. I like the spot with the rocking chair where he sets the fire rocking chair, the dude jumps out of the way. Certain things got to be set on fire and they're swinging them at each other. It was like close calls so many times. And my, the, the finish to me was the best. Because the mandible claw and Orton was a genius because he could, this, this is how you know Randy Orton's an in-ring genius because he couldn't break free from the claw. So what do you do? He, sw- he flips his body around to where he's still in the mandible claw, but he's against the wall. So his jacket catches on fire. He breaks free, wins the match. And then everybody's like, and then some people were trying to bring realism into this. Look. Oh, my gosh. Any match Stop. involving The Fiend is not going to have reality based. <laughs> Come on. He has a freaking fun house with a, with a talking rabbit. Come on. Yes. You're not. If he's The Fiend, you're not going to see any realism in a Fiend match. You're just not. So, they're like, he, was a, he, he had a jacket on and he ran to the ring. Yes. When, when you're in flames, you can still run. It's not smart, 
but you can still run. You know, the Fiend doesn't stop, drop, and roll. He don't know that. So he gets in the ring, Orton hits the RKO, and then you're like, oh, crap. And then you see the gasoline, you're like, no. And you're like, okay. You're thinking, okay, somebody's going to come out here and stop this. Yeah, I thought for sure we were going to see at least somebody, Alexa Bliss, run out and, and come to her man's aid. And they did No. They just set, he sets him on fire, and I'm, and I'm sitting there like, me and my me and my buddies are all screaming like we're like what the fuck like we're freaking out like like holy shit like we're freaking out the words used in this podcast do not necessarily represent those of wins world subsidiaries or parent company <laughs> go ahead boot sorry i had to throw that disclaimer in there it's fine it's fine but i'm like jesus i was freaking out because we were like did he just set this dude on fire and then of course there were videos that came out later saying it was a mannequin who cares uh but still that was amazing because now you're thinking like oh crap the dude's on fire. Best way to end the pay-per-view. In fact, I'll say this. It was the last pay-per-view of 2020, but it was the best pay-per-view of 2020. Mm. Because with the exception of Oscar and Charlotte, I loved every match on this card in some way, shape, or form. was enjoyable. This was the best match. They ended this. They ended the year strong. Very strong. I think I texted you a screenshot of that as I was watching right. it. Like, so. oh my gosh. Like, yeah. are you seeing this? Nobody knew what to expect. You, you had a great callback there to the days of Kane, the days of yore. And we're seeing a brand new generation of creativity because now the writer's room have the ability to do things like we saw at TLC in this Firefly Inferno match. And it was, it lived up to the word Inferno. Every time I think about that, I think, okay, you better come with it. And they came to play. And I agree. I think this is one of the strongest pay-per-views of the season of 2020. Way to end it with a bang. But here we are in the new year in the world of wins. The planets behind me are looking forward to the end of January. Enero, the 31st. We're coming back. Prior to that, we're going to have some predictions, some tepid takes, and a whole lot of fun with the one, the only, the wrestling encyclopedia, Vincent Kennedy Bucci. But we never, ever like to leave an episode of The Wens World without saying a couple key things, one of which is, have a nice day. The other is, bang, bang.